0: Howdy, and welcome to Wise About Texas, your award-winning Texas history podcast. I very much appreciate you listening today. This is the 100th numbered episode of Wise About Texas. 100th numbered episode. I, I can't believe that, honestly. And I say numbered episode because there have been some multi-part episodes and some bonus episodes so we did pass a hundred a few episodes back but uh, this is the one that's going to be labeled episode 100 I got to thank everybody out there listening to this podcast for getting me to a hundred episodes I never thought that uh, podcast you know if you go and you look and read about podcasts way way more than 50% of the podcasts never make it to five episodes Uh, but this podcast is still growing, and I really did not anticipate that. This started as a fun project, an opportunity for me to give back to the history community, produce some Texas history content that might be heard um, by people who wouldn't traditionally hear or read about Texas history, and I, I did it because I think that it is important to keep Texas unique, to keep Texas different, and to Honor everything our forebears have done to bring us what I definitely believe in and can prove is the greatest state in the nation. And uh, your contribution by listening to this is uh, means a lot to me, and it's motivated me. It's inspired me. And uh, now we're at a hundred episodes, and uh, and I hope we make a thousand. I'll tell you statistically. Uh, we are closing on, closing in on a very big number of people who have heard this podcast, and uh, we're well over 800,000 right now, and like I said earlier, it's growing. It's been heard in 150 countries around the world, so that's uh, really just amazing. But the best thing about it all, to me personally, is it's enabled me to meet just some wonderful people around this state, and I mean all around this state who share my love and our love for the state of Texas and for the history of the state of Texas. Well, today for the 100th episode, and by the way, I'm releasing this episode on April 21st, 2021, San Jacinto Day, the 185th anniversary of the Battle of San Jacinto. So today we are going to talk about the San Jacinto monuments, and there's not just one. Let's go back to 1836 and 1936 and get wise about Texas. Will you come to the bower? I have shaded for well, Before we get to the monuments, let me remind you and myself frankly why San Jacinto was so consequential. It was one of the de- decisive battles in world history. And uh, I think we'll let the San Jacinto monument that stands today the 1936 monument speak for itself. Here's what's written on the San Jacinto monument. Quote: Measured by its results, San Jacinto was one of the decisive battles of the world. The freedom of Texas from Mexico won here led to annexation into the Mexican-American War, resulting in the acquisition by the United States of the states of Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, Nevada, California, Utah, and parts of Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, and Oklahoma. Almost one-third of the present area of the American nation, nearly a million square miles of territory, changed sovereignty. Close quote. There's another uh, great quote from Napoleon Bonaparte. He said this, quote, quarter hours decide the destiny of nations. Close quote. Well, that's literally true for the Battle of San Jacinto, of course, which landed, which lasted all of 18 minutes. So today, let's talk about those monuments. You know, monuments, of course, memorialize our history. The word monument comes from words in Greek and Latin that mean to remind or to advise or to warn. And they might mark a place, an event, or a person. And they're important because they're a visual reminder, often an artistic reminder, or in advisor or a warning. They can spur emotion. They can spur thought. You know, every election day that longtime listeners of this podcast know I'm an elected judge by day, and uh, every election day I've been on the ballot, and there have been six of those, by the way, I go to the San Jacinto Battleground, and I reflect just a moment on what happened there and why I want to continue to serve Texas. So that monument and that place serves an important purpose to all of us, Now, from the start, the Texans knew the importance of the San Jacinto battleground. The battle occurred on a ranch owned by a lady named Peggy McCormick. She was a widow. She had two sons that lived with her on the ranch. And the carnage, of course, was significant, and hundreds of bodies of Mexican soldiers littered Miss McCormick's cow pasture. In fact, shortly after the battle, Miss McCormick, none too happy, of course, with the situation. Oh, by the way, before the battle, both armies had consumed uh, much of her cattle herd and any uh, grain and corn she was raising. She comes up to Sam Houston shortly after the battle and demand demanded that he get the bodies off of the field. Uh, well, the Texas Army was not about to do that, and uh, she suggested that Houston get Santa Anna bit to bury the body. Santa Anna refused. Santa Anna the Napoleon of the West refused to give his own soldiers a burial. Remember he had fled the battlefield uh, almost immediately after it started was captured a day later. Houston decided to take a different tack and invoke history and he informed Miss McCormick that her ranch was now hallowed, hallowed ground. And it would be one of the most historic places in Texas history. And she's quoted as saying, and I don't know if this is a direct quote or not, but here's the quote, quote, to the devil with your glorious history, take off your stinking bodies. Well, it didn't get done um, and eventually smelled so bad that Houston and the army just moved after four or five days, just moved up the bayou to get away from it. And uh, poor Miss McCormick and her two sons were left with the gruesome task of cleaning up the battlefield. The Battleground was also a tourist attraction from the start. Well, um, from the start might be a little bit of an overstatement. There weren't many tourists. Of course, Houston was founded in 1836. Later that year, McCormick's Ranch was in the middle of nowhere as far as uh, anyone was concerned from from Houston. It was the middle of ranch country. It's hard to imagine that area being ranch country now, but it was. Uh, Lynch's Ferry of course existed, but there wasn't a whole lot in the way of settlement. But there were, tour- there were some tourists. In 1837, John James Audubon landed in Galveston. I did an episode on Audubon's trip. It's uh, episode number 22. And he visited the San Jacinto battleground. Now, back in those days, phrenology, the study of the bumps on people's skulls, was considered a medical science. And so one of Audubon's friends in the north wanted him to collect some skulls from the San Jacinto battleground, which he did. And those skulls still exist, by the way. Um, They ended up in Pennsylvania in the collection of a doctor and later at a university. Uh, But he's not the only one. My own great-great-grandfather, who you've heard me mention before, Dr. James H. Price, he was a physician and in 1838 traveled with a lawyer from Kentucky named John Herndon and some other doctors uh, on a, hunting trip to Galveston, and on the way, they too stopped at the site of the final Battle of Texas Independence, and Dr. Price and the other doctors collected skulls from that battleground. Uh, It was a big, big thing to do. Um, Miss McCormick eventually lost the ranch in the middle 1800s, and uh, even though it was recognized as an important site, there were no monuments. It was just vacant land. Let me mention one thing about the battle. The Texans had about 39 casualties, including, of course, Sam Houston, but only nine of those were killed or mortally wounded. And so I'll tell you what, since I'm recording this on April 21st, I'm going to read the names of those of the Texians killed in the Battle of San Jacinto. Lemuel Stockton Blackley, Blakely, Benjamin Rice Brigham, James Cooper, Matthias Cooper, Thomas Patton Fowl sometimes listed as Fowler, Giles Albert Giddings, John C. Hale, George A. Lamb, Dr. William Junius Motley, Ashley R. Stevens, Alwyn Trask, and Leroy Wilkinson. Of that list, uh, Blakely Brigham, Lamb, Motley, Matthias Cooper, Fowl, and Stevens were buried beneath the oak trees where Houston's army had its camp and their graves were only marked with crude wooden markers. So by the 1870s or so, you really couldn't identify any of those graves except one, and that was Benjamin Rice Brigham. Well, later that century, a lawyer from Richmond named J.L. Sullivan decided that we needed some sort of marker to remember at least the men killed in the battle. So he convinced the legislature... Put in $1,000. So the legislature passed a law, and uh, it said this. It said, quote, "...the sum of $1,000 to aid in enclosing the graves and in erecting a monument over the remains of those who fell in the Battle of San Jacinto to be paid to the treasurer of the San Jacinto Monumental Association." That's what it says. "...when he shall file with the treasurer good and sufficient evidence of the completion of the monument and the enclosure of the graves." the set enclosure to be of substantial iron rails, close quote. Well, um, the San Jacinto Monumental Association was going to need more than $1,000. So they started running ads in the paper uh, announcing the prospect of a monument and the formation of a committee to try to raise subscriptions for that monument. Uh, They ran ads in the uh, Houston Weekly Telegraph and the Galveston paper uh, that I've seen Uh, One of the people very involved was Francis Lubbock, who was a merchant in Houston, later became district clerk, eventually became governor of Texas. He was the treasurer, actually, of the association. And uh, the committee was formed uh, on the battleground itself. They were visiting the battleground to commemorate the battle on April 21st uh, and decided to form the association and the officers then. Uh, Some of the committee members on that first Monumental Association were uh, David Burnett, the Provisional uh, President of the Republic, Sidney Sherman, who, of course, led the left wing of the Texian Army and, uh, if I recall correctly, had the first contact on April 21st. Uh, William Gamble was on there. He fought in the battle. Um, So that's where it started. Well, the monument was finally unveiled. It was completed and unveiled 25 years later. And, and it was unveiled in Galveston, and the unveiling occurred. The person that unveiled it was Captain Robert Calder, who led uh, a company in the battle um, and was the, the captain of the company that Benjamin Rice Brigham fought in. The orator, or MC of the day, was Sam Houston's grandson, Temple Houston. Now, I did an episode on Temple Houston, coincidentally episode 21, right before the Audubon episode, He was one of the first really famous Texas trial lawyers, Uh, and he's the one that once proved in court uh, or demonstrated, I should say, how fast a shooter was by actually shooting his gun over the head of the jury. So go back and listen to to episode 21 for that. So the monument was unveiled, and uh, on the north side of the monument, it has the words of Sam Houston on the day of the battle and says, remember the Alamo. On the east side, it has the initials B.R., Brigham, and uh, the words, quote, dead on the field of honor, close quote, so more of a traditional tombstone. On the west side, it lists all the dead from the Battle of San Jacinto that I read earlier, and uh, I'll save the words on the south side for the end of this podcast. And until 1936, the Brigham Monument was the only marker memorializing one of the most decisive battles in the history of the world. And if you go down, of course, it still stands, and if you look at it, I don't know exactly how tall it is, I'm going to say... Uh, 12 to 14 feet, it's um, more like a large monument you would see in any cemetery of the time, Uh, although it is wider at the base to accommodate the additional engraving, and of course it has four rectangular sides on which you can engrave, so it's a, a little more significant than your typical tall grave monument, but if you were to look at it, especially in the context of the cemetery where it is because a small community cemetery arose around there uh, later, and so there are grave markers from from well into the 1800s around there. Um, It really just looks like a tombstone, uh, or a grave monument, I should say, Um, and it was the San Jacinto Monument, but as you might expect, uh, Houstonians would eventually come up with bigger plans, so fast forward to 1936. 1936, of course, was the Texas Centennial. And there were tons of activities surrounding the Centennial. There was a huge festival in Dallas. Uh, those of you that have been to Fair Park, you've seen the buildings they built, massive buildings just for the Centennial celebrations. They had huge pageants. Uh, another good story that I need, I'll do a podcast episode on sometimes, was the fact that Fort Worth had a competing Centennial event. But um, one of the bigger projects, was to create what we now call centennial markers all over the state at historically significant sites. Those are those historical markers that look kind of like gray tombstones around the state, and then there are some that look a little different than that, but but many, many were put around the state um, in connection with the centennial. But the ultimate centennial marker was conceived um, by Jesse Jones. Now, Jesse Jones was the chairman for a time of the Texas Centennial Commission. He was a Houston businessman, very famous. He was chairman of FDR's Reconstruction Finance Corporation, a brilliant banker and businessman, built tons of buildings in Houston, Texas, was was uh, spearheaded the port of Houston. Um, he was really a national force. And he had the idea of building a real San Jacinto monument uh, to celebrate the importance of the battle, not just a grave marker. And the centennial was a good chance to get that done. So um, they commissioned an architect named Alfred Finn and an engineer named Robert Cummins. The construction company was the Bellows Construction Company. And they decided they were going to build um, the tallest monument they could conceive of. The monument was to be constructed of Texas of concrete with um, Texas Cordova shellstone on the walls. Um, And they broke ground in 1936, and they broke ground with a team of oxen, uh, presumably to commemorate the pioneers of Texas. The project took three years, and when it was dedicated, and it was dedicated on this day, San Jacinto Day, April 21st, 1939. So they broke ground April 21st, 1936, completed it April 21st, 1939. It was the largest masonry construction project ever built it cost a million and a half dollars now that's that's unbelievable today cuz it would cost a million and a half dollars to get the plans drawn it seems but um cost a million and a half dollars workers made between 2 dollars and 250 per day and that did not include the time they had to spend walking up to whatever level they were working on at the moment when completed the monument was they oh the top of the monument i forgot to mention the top of the monument of course has a 9 point star now But there was a lot of discussion whether it was going to have a soldier or a star. And they settled on a star. The monument is 567.31 feet tall. Now that's important. And it's not important just because I like precision in such matters. It's important because that makes it 12.3 feet taller than the little old Washington monument up in Washington, D.C. So yes, the San Jacinto Monument is the tallest funny personal antidote. I was on a tour bus in Ireland. The only time I've been to Ireland and they have a, a big obelisk over there. I can't even remember what it's for. And the tour guy said it is the second largest obelisk behind the Washington Monument. And from the back of that tour bus, I yelled third and uh, I set him straight before that tour was over. Um, all right. Well, there's one more monument, actually a collection of monuments I want to mention before I close because this will be very interesting the next time you go to the San Jacinto Battleground. In 1894, a committee of veterans, which included in 1894 survivors of the battle, they went out with, uh, and the Daughters of the Republic of Texas organized this, important sites. They, they pointed out important sites of various events of the battle, told them where they occurred, and they were marked. Um, in 1897, they were marked with pipes. But in 1912 they were replaced by granite, kind of granite boulders-slash-markers erected by the Daughters of the Republic of Texas. And so as you go around the San Jacinto Battleground, you can see these markers, and they're numbered. And you can get a map from the uh, San Jacinto Battleground website that will tell you where these markers are and what they are. And so as you drive around, and I highly encourage you to do that, drive around the battleground, You'll see these markers, and it'll they mark things like uh, the site of the cavalry skirmish on April twentieth, the site of the Texian camp, the site of the Mexican camp, the site of Santa Anna's tent, those sorts of things. And so it's really very interesting um, to see what that was. Now, of course, when we built the monument in eighteen thirty, well, in nineteen thirty-six, of course, the topography had changed tremendously. So it is somewhat difficult to imagine what it looked like in 1836 but those markers certainly help orient you uh, to what happened and where um, if you know something about the battle so that's a little about the monuments located at san Jacinto. but i want to leave you today with the words of secretary of war thomas rusk who said this about san Jacinto: quote the sun was sinking in the horizon as the battle commenced But at the close of the conflict, the sun of liberty and independence rose in Texas. Never it is to be hoped to be obscured by the clouds of despotism. We have read of deeds of chivalry and perused with ardor the annals of war. We have contemplated, with the highest emotions of sublimity, the loud roaring thunder, the desolating tornado, and the withering simoom of the desert." But neither of these, nor all, inspired us with emotions like those felt on this occasion. There was a general cry which pervaded the ranks. Remember the Alamo. Remember La Bahia. These words electrified all. Onward was the cry. The unerring aim and irresistible energy of the Texas Army could not be withstood. It was free men fighting against the minions of tyranny, and the result proved the inequality of such a contest. Thomas J. Rusk. Well, now I get to the part of the episode where I talk about, uh, called Getting There, where we talk about how to get there. Well, we're going to talk about how to get to the San Jacinto Battleground. Put 3523-3523 Independence Parkway, South La Porte, Texas, into your GPS, and that'll take you right there. It's off of uh, State Highway 225. There's an Independence Parkway exit. Drive toward uh, the tallest monument, and you will be there. Bring your lunch and plan to spend some time out there. We've got the San Jacinto Museum of History, which is a great place to see some um, artifacts from the period and learn a lot about what went on on that sacred ground. Well, that wraps it up for this episode of Wise About Texas. Happy San Jacinto Day to everyone. Uh, You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Wise About Texas, and like and share the Wise About Texas Facebook page. If you get a minute, leave a five-star review for us. That helps other people find the show and learn a little about Texas history. And if you're interested in supporting the preservation and promotion of Texas history, you can go to patreon.com slash wiseabouttexas and sponsor the show. Thanks for listening today. Go out and do something for Texas. And until next time, God bless Texas, and we'll see you down the road.